Well, good morning. My name is Brian Ferrone, as Rick mentioned, and I uh, serve with EFCA West, which is uh, a district in the denomination that this church is a part of. In a second, I'm going to describe a little more about what I do, but I want to begin by praying. So if you would take a moment and to bow your heads and your hearts and still your hearts with me, let's pray that God would come and speak to us today through his word and through what I'm going to share with us. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're here today, and we are eager to hear from you. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, and we pray for eyes to see. God, I pray that you would give us open hearts. Help us, Lord, to consider how we might serve you uh, personally, locally, and even globally as a congregation. Now, this congregation might make a difference for the sake of the gospel. I pray that you would help us to have open minds. I pray that you would help us to think clearly and critically. And I pray this morning that the conversation we're going to have would spur us on to really consider in new ways how we can... uh, we can do missions, how we can bring the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I serve EFCA West staff, and I serve as the director of biblical theology and credentialing for this district, which includes uh, some of California, some of Arizona, uh, some of uh, all of Arizona, I'm sorry, all of New Mexico, all of Utah, some of Idaho, some of Nevada and some of Texas. Sometimes I forget how to even describe it. It's mostly the down here part of the country. Um, Part of my job is theology and credentialing. Part of my job, as Rick shared in the first service, is to help coach churches through the transition. And I got to serve this church um, as you guys were working through your transition and looking for your new pastor. And then a big part of what I do is serve as a pastor for pastors and church leaders regionally. In many ways, I'm like an associate pastor and my congregation is pastors kind of scattered everywhere throughout the Southwest. Um, I'm here to speak about missions today, and I just want to share a little bit of my involvement for that, and in some ways to answer the question, why in the world did you invite me to talk about this? Um, So part of the reason is, uh, currently I'm part of a REACH Global, which is our missions agency, a leadership cohort with REACH Global that comprises 40 younger leaders and 40 of our seasoned leaders, and you can kind of try to guess which category I fall into. Um, And we're getting together over the next three years to talk about how we can be better leaders, especially in the area of mission. And so we're having these discussions and I've gotten to meet people from Europe and the Middle East and North Africa and Asia and Turkey and hear their perspective on mission. It's been a fascinating, fascinating experience. I'm also doing this kind of in real time with my local church. At home, I'm the missions elder at our local church. I'm part of the team that oversees and and does missions at Grace Bible Church, one of your sister churches in Arroyo Grande, California. Like many of you, I participate in missions personally. I go and I pay. I support missionaries. So that's a big piece of my story. I've also been on a short-term mission trip with Adam Green and Cammie before they were Adam and Cammie, um, back when they were engaged. In fact, my wife Terry and I got to do their premarital counseling in the Wayback Machine, which was very fun. Um, And uh, that's a big part of our story. And probably my biggest claim to fame is um, a good friend and served for many years with Joe Bubar, your former interim pastor. And Joe used to talk about Albania a little bit, right? If you've heard Joe Bubar speak about Albania, raise your hand, right? I'm sure you have. Um, I've been to Albania with Joe as a part of my story. Um, I do want to take a moment also and share why in the world I'm sitting on a stool. Because I don't, this is the second time I've ever preached sitting down. The first time was last service. Um, (laughs) But uh, that's not an exaggeration, that's true. 
I was on Thursday, I was hiking in, in my area, on a hike I do all the time. I've probably done this hike a hundred times, and I'm cruising, it's called the Ontario Ridge Hike. It separates Shell Beach and Avila Beach. I live in a little town called Grover Beach, about four hours north of here, right next to Pismo Beach and San Luis Obispo County, that area. And I'm hiking away and just kind of having a good time, and all of a sudden, I, about two-thirds of the way up on the side of a mountain, I totally destroyed my ankle and rolled it. Um, and up to this point, I've made a kind of a practice of hiking alone. Not sure I'm gonna do that anymore. Um, rethinking that, but I kind of tumbled off the trail into the bushes and my ankle, you know how when it, when it goes flat, so like the side of your foot is now the bottom thing and your foot's turned and so I sat there for a while. My first thought was literally how in the world am I going to preach and the answer is on a stool. Um, my second thought was how am I going to get off this mountain um, because I was way up there and it's pretty steep and uh, like most men, I gathered myself and decided if I could crawl off that mountain, I was not going to call for help. I didn't have to crawl, but it, it did take about three times as long as normal. And my foot's all black and blue. I was gonna show a picture, but you know, probably not, not, a, not appropriate. Um, if I couldn't get the ugly part of my foot, which is the whole thing out of the picture, I would have shown you what it looked like. Um, but it was funny, I was sitting there. I'm on this mountain, and uh, after I'd screamed out for help and sort of gone through my, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And all of a sudden, the hiking experience was quite different for me. It had changed. Um, getting down the mountain, which usually was the easy part, right? It's now the hard part. And it, it reminded me, I think that feeling I was having of being destabilized, of things changing, it reminds me of where we're at in mission right now. Um, we're at a, at a place that some people describe as a sea change in our culture. Don't you feel it? I know you feel it living here in Orange County. Uh, the values that we used to agree on as a culture, those are shifting rapidly. Um, the way we do missions is also changing. The way we can connect with our missionaries, that's changing. The amount of resources, that's changing. The fact that the nations now live next door, don't they? Doesn't it feel like that? It's changing radically. And I feel like we're at this place where things are changing. And so what I want to do this morning is, is really help you think this through. In fact, my goal, I want to just kind of be up front with you. My goal today is to help your whole church family this whole church family, continue a meaningful conversation about how you do missions personally, locally, and globally. Um, that's my goal for you, is, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some ideas before you. This is going to be kind of a different sermon for me. Usually I take a passage of the scriptures, I unfold it, and I help us see how we can apply it. That's my normal thing. I'm going to do more of a topical thing today, um, and your pastor has encouraged me to do this, and, and he kind of urged me in this direction but I want to help you have a conversation about how you can make more of a difference and sort of leverage the heritage you have into the future in the area of missions as you try to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I want to start this morning by a little pop quiz. And this is a, this is a participation kind of one. So the first question is this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands sometimes. And so question one is this. If you understand that I'm asking you to raise your hands sometimes during this quiz, raise your hands. Okay, good. I just want to make sure everybody knows I really am asking real questions. These are not rhetorical. These are real, and I'm hoping for a hand. Okay, number one, raise your hand if you or someone in your family has ever been on a short-term mission trip. Okay, most of us, most of us. Number two, I could ask if you ever want to go back, but I won't ask that. It's not, sometimes not the fairest question. Number two, raise your hand if you or someone in your family currently gives money to support a missionary. Raise your hand if you're in this financially. That's many of you, most of you 
are in this game. I imagine if we put all of your refrigerator pictures up on the back, it would be just a kaleidoscope of people you support. It'd be pretty cool. It'd be worth doing. Um, number three, raise your hand if you have a friend or family member who is currently serving as a missionary. All right. So it's a family affair. At least half of you have somebody, friend or family member, currently serving as a missionary. Number four, raise your hand if you know someone who is currently raising support to be a missionary. And not as many, but some. Okay, I did that for two reasons. One is I just wanted to illustrate this is an everybody conversation. It's not a conversation just for your missions team or for your pastoral staff. This is for everybody. And two, I want to get a sense of the level of engagement that this congregation has. And, and unsurprisingly, just like the first service, you guys have a high level of engagement with missions. And so the question of how can we do it better ought to be exceedingly relevant to this group. So that's my goal, help you have this conversation. Here's my plan. Here's how we're going to do it today. First, I want to share a biblical foundation for missions. That's the first thing we're going to do. I'm going to quickly walk through a biblical foundation for missions. You know, on the one hand, we are doing a topical sermon to kind of wrestle with some of these things. But, you know, I want to sleep tonight and I want to look in the mirror. So I felt duty-bound to put before you the most, what I think are the most pressing passages in the Scripture in the area of missions to work as a foundation for this discussion we're having. Second, and this is really the bulk of my sermon today, in light of that foundation, I want to suggest three tensions, three tensions in the area of missions that we can wrestle through together, that you can wrestle through as a congregation together, that my congregation is wrestling through right now, that our denomination is wrestling through broadly. And I want to take a moment to note that word tension. I chose it pretty carefully. I don't want you to hear me saying that these are either-or propositions, you know, I'm going to give some examples, and it could feel like it was saying, I'm saying abandon this and do this, and that's not what I'm saying. The things that we, I'm going to put before you today are things that are held in tension, that we have to wrestle with, that we should hang on to some, but we should also maybe pivot to the future in other ways. In some ways, it reminds me of what I'm experiencing right now with my son. I have a 16-year-old son, right? I'm trying to do two things. I want to build a strong relationship where we depend on one another, but I'm also trying to launch my son into this world. And he just got his driver's license. Anybody experienced that adventure, right? Brace yourself. Don't do it. Delay it as long as you can. Or at least change the keys to your car. I've lost ownership, emotional ownership of my car. I actually recently found myself asking him if I could borrow his car. And I meant my car. How did this happen? If he hears the sermon, he'll be like, yes, I'm winning. I'm getting there. So my goal is to launch my son, but my goal is to have a strong, strong relationship with my son. I don't want to give either one of those up. And they collide with one another right? Don't they? The things we're going to talk about today collide with one another, and they exist in tension. I just want to acknowledge that. Okay, let's start moving through. Uh, first thing, a biblical foundation. All right. It's going to be two C's and two G's. The first is creation. As you look at the beginning of the Bible, in chapter one and two of the Bible, we see that God made a perfect, unflawed, unmarred, unbroken world. The world is whole and complete. Everything works together. He makes man and woman in his image as the culmination, as the apex of his creation. And everything is good and right and whole. God looks at it and he says what? He says it's very good, right? Chapter 2, he goes into more detail about how man and woman were created. And they're together and they are partners and they're naked and they know no shame. And there is nothing broken. And in that world, there's not much place for missions, Right? Nothing lost, nothing broken, nothing marred, nothing that needs to be restored. But as we move on in the story of the Bible, there's a curse that comes in Genesis 3, right? 
And through tempting away and human rebellion, our world is broken and marred and, and almost destroyed, right? And that peace that we have with God and that rightness of place, those are all tainted. And God casts us out. And God puts a curse on everything, if you remember, that the ground is cursed, that men and women are cursed, that our relationships are cursed, that our very relationship with God is under a curse. And the rest of the Old Testament is kind of an unfolding of that curse. It is a continuing example of how men and women cannot save themselves. They cannot restore this world on their own. That the world is broken and it continues to be broken. That people are rebels and they continue to be rebels. And then, and I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles three times today, and this is one of them. Then the gospel comes. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read it for you. First Corinthians 15 is, is my favorite biblical telling of the gospel. Paul sums up the things that are of first importance, and this passage and the ideas it contains is at the very heart of why we do missions. Let me read it for you, the first three verses. Even a little farther, it says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, this Bible story that starts in creation, that turns on a curse, really takes a whole new trajectory in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the New Testament story is that Jesus came into this world, he lived a perfect life on our behalf that we could never live. He died a terrible death on our behalf, in our place on the cross, that, that none of us would want to die, and he rose from dead in victory to prove that he has power over death. And the third piece of this story of the biblical foundation for missions is the fact that Jesus has provided salvation for any who would receive it, for any who would believe on his name. And that brings us to the fourth piece, that same Jesus who provided this great rescue through his life, death, and resurrection in Matthew 28 tells us to go. Turn there in your Bibles now. Turn to Matthew 28. This is, this is turn number two. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives us kind of our missions marching orders. He says this. In his great commission, he says these words to us. Says it to the 11, but they are for anyone, anyone who would put their hope in Jesus and take up his cause. Says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, look, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, this mission's foundation, it really ends the one I'm presenting before you. It's one way to tell. It's not the only way. With Jesus giving us a great commission that we should go. He says, go into all the world, go to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them, help causing them to obey, remembering that he is with us. This biblical foundation starts with the perfect world. Through human sin, we are estranged from God and the world is scarred and broken. Jesus comes into the world to provide us rescue. 
He dies on the cross. He is raised from the dead to demonstrate that he can save us. And he has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. And that is the foundation for what we do in missions. It's the foundation for this church. The gospel and the command are why we are here. In a very real sense, in Acts 1.8, Jesus sends them to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And guess what Orange County is? From Jerusalem, we are the ends of the earth. We are far, far away on the, at that time an unknown map in an unknown part of the world and the gospel has come to us. And this is the foundation for the conversation I want to have now. So now that we've laid that foundation, I want to turn and wrestle with some of these tensions in missions. And I just want to say again, I'm not arguing for either or. I just want to put them before you and help you think through how do we deal with these tensions. And the first one is this. Here's the first tension I want to put before you. And it's the tension between focus and family. Focus and family. And here's what I mean by that. Over the past decades, churches like this one have supported missionaries largely based on the fact that they were families and they were raised up from within the church. Um, If you look at your missions roster or if you look at the missions roster at my church, you'll see a lot of people who grew up in that church. And they they heard us preach on a passage like Matthew 28 and they said, I want to go, will you send me? And so what do we say? What do you say when your family asks you for help? You say yes. And so our church roster, 40 plus missionaries at my church, is filled with people who are part of our family. And here's what's happened. Typically, they say, I want to go, and they just kind of pick a place that's on their heart, but it's not really connected to a focus in the church, right? And so now at our church, we have this map that's just got dots all over it, right? And it's a lot of good things. And in fact, if you want to describe our mission strategy for the last 30 or 40 years, it would be send good people to do good things. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's a lot right with that. Our missionaries have done good things all over the globe. The net effect of this has been very good, but it's also been kind of bad in the sense that we don't really have a focus. We haven't really picked a place to set our affection on. At least we hadn't. We're, we're a little farther down on this particular journey perhaps than you are. But, but at that point, we hadn't. So we just had this scattered thing. And many of our churches are facing the same thing. Lots of good work, lots of good workers. All of them are family, or many of them are considered family. And now we come to this other side of the coin that you guys are wrestling with too, because you're a church that's in the middle of handing a baton off to a new generation of leaders. And a new generation of leaders often says, can't we do a new thing or a different thing? Or what would it be look like if we brought a little more strategy or a different strategy to this equation? And often they, that comes in the form of a place, of, of people wanting to set their focus on a place. And it's in tension with this, this uh, way we've done it in the past of, of not having a place, but just focusing on good people. The tension I'm trying to describe, I don't know if I've said it well yet, let me say it like this. It's between our desire to keep our commitment to our family, to those we've already sent out, and to those within our body who want to go, that's one hand, and our desire to pick a place to focus our efforts or do a new thing or find a new area to make a bigger dent or impact. Uh, The best biblical example I know is in Romans 15. You don't need to turn there, but let me describe it to you. The Apostle Paul touches both of these realities in Romans 15. In Romans 15, he's talking about, he has this deep desire. He says he makes it his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. He wants to break new ground. He wants to go do a new thing. And if you read on in that passage, you'll discover it's Spain. If the Apostle Paul in that passage were here and he was asking for help, he would be saying, I'm going to Spain. Who's with me? Who wants to support me? 
And then a little later in that passage, he, he kind of nods in the other direction of families because it's ironic. Before he goes to Spain, do you know where he's going to go? He's going back to Jerusalem to bring financial support to believers who are hurting, to parts of their family that they have a long-standing commitment to. And he says, at present, however, I'm going to, the, to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. Paul had been out raising a collection for believers back in Jerusalem, even as he had this dream of going to Spain. Now, you don't need to know your map very well to know that Jerusalem and Spain are not next door to each other, are they? It is very far away, and these two things represent a great tension for Paul. Which is he going to do? And he wants to do both. Now, in our church's journey, we have gone on a little bit of a journey with this. In fact, I, I, raised your, I asked you to raise your hand if you'd heard Joe Bubar talk about Albania, right? Well, I lived that for more than a decade. So I want to tell you our story. Because in the early part of 2002 and 3 and 4, our church decided we were going to set our heart, our affection on a place. And we went looking for a place. And we found Albania. And Albania is kind of the middle of nowhere Europe. It was the last place for communism to fall. And so it became an open country. And, and there were literally thousands and tens of thousands of people who had no clue about the gospel story in any way, shape, or form. And our church jumped in, and together with Campus Crusade, we focused a ton of time, energy, and treasure moving all over Albania, helping share the Jesus film and seeing people come to the Lord. And you know what? We focused there for year after year after year, and we saw people come to Christ. And then you know what happened? They started to gather in churches, and we thought, hey, we kind of know how to do this. And we partnered with them as they began to develop churches and we helped them form, form some of those churches and help give structure to those churches and just provided people who'd been at it a little while longer. It was fun. I went over to Albania to help do a pastor's conference and in the, I was about 35 at the time and I would have been like the oldest, most mature, seasoned pastor around in Albania, which tells you how dire the situation was, right? They had nobody and we set our heart of affection on this church and we did it Year after year, for more than a decade, now in my church, if you say the question, how many of you have been to Albania, you get the same sea of hands like when I asked, how many of you support missionaries? Hundreds of hands go up, literally. Hundreds of people from our congregation have been to Albania. Tens of thousands of dollars go over to Albania every year. But here's the thing. We set our heart on Albania. You know what happened is we said no to some things as a result of that. We, we couldn't just do both. And so some people, we had to make some strategic decisions, right? Some of our family people heard no, and historically they would have heard yes. Now, I've heard your pastor talk about Japan. And wouldn't it be great to set our heart on a place like Japan? And when I hear that, I think, oh, that is wonderful and beautiful. And what would it be like for this church to decide that it was going to invest its time and treasure and resources in bringing the gospel that we've been commanded to carry to the very ends of the earth to a place like Japan where so few people know him? I think that's a beautiful idea. I, would love, to, I love that your church is wrestling with this idea, but the reality is it's going to come at a cost. You can't do everything. And it's going to come at the tension of how do we continue to do what we've done? Maybe we can't do all of it. We're facing that same question right now. So we've got our beautiful Albania story, but as many of you know, Joe's not our pastor anymore. We have a new pastor. And we have a missions pastor who's passionate about Indonesia. In fact, we're getting ready to send him back home. He's been with us for more than a decade, and it's a long story, but he's getting ready to go back home. And we're asking the question, can we decide to adopt a new place? Can we do two? I don't know. But let me tell you, you know what has become the biggest challenge? Anybody want to guess? It's place one. It's place one. How do we continue 
to love a place like Albania, where I mean, there, are, there are Albania flags all over Arroyo Grande because of our mission there. How do we continue to love a place like that and break new ground in a place like Indonesia that makes Albania look easy? It does. When I went to Indonesia, my world was blown in two. It is so foreign and so different and so desperately in need of the gospel, just like Japan. So that's one of the tensions that you are going to wrestle with. I'm glad you're wrestling with it. Let me, think, let me put another one before you. Second tension I want to put before you as you think about bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, the second tension I want to put before you is the tension between how we have done it and how we could do it. This is the tension of methods. Now, it's especially true for a congregation like yours that is right in the midst of this baton passing. You know, our churches have been very effective in mission. They have. One of the things that I can almost guarantee is when I come into a free church like this church, there will be a high commitment to missions. It will represent real dollars and real time and real energy. And one of the downsides of that, if I can say it like that, is you guys know how you do it and you have done it that way. And sometimes it's hard to change how you do things, right? Is anyone in this congregation feeling tension about the way we used to do it versus the way we might do it or the way we could do it? You know, when I think about how we've done missions in churches like this, here are the things that come to mind. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list. Things like short-term mission trips, especially with our students, right? Long-term missionary support, usually based on family or friendship. Annual mission conferences, days like this day today are very good to help remind our congregation that it's not just what we do right here, but the ends of the earth actually exist. Some direct support, for direct people, direct church planners on the field, but often I'm seeing more people doing support roles, second and third level roles as missionaries. I would say right now, at least a third of the people we support are not in direct ministry. They're in support roles, second or third level ministry. I can tell you more about what I mean by that if you want to ask me afterwards. And then most of our C's is, most of our support is either overseas or it's with campus ministries, and I imagine yours is like that too. It's crusade, it's intervarsity, it's young life, or it's far away overseas. Now, that's how we've done it. And one of the things we're wrestling with right now, is there space to do things in a new way? Is there a way to ask questions that we could do a new idea or do missions in a new way? Here I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9. The last time I'm going to have you turn. 1 Corinthians 9. I want to read a passage for you that I think gets at this idea of being willing to change our methods for the sake of those we're trying to reach. It's in chapter 9. The Apostle Paul is talking about his willingness to surrender any of his rights for the sake of the gospel, though though he wouldn't have to. But he's willing to surrender all those things that are due to him for the sake of the gospel. And in verse 19, he says this, Let me read it for you. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul is saying here, it seems to me, that our methods need to be, and his methods need to be very, very flexible, very, very flexible if we are going to reach people in a new way, in a new place. You know, I think about, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hudson Taylor, right? So he goes to China and he adopts their cultural customs because he is convinced he needs to reach them as an insider, as an insider. Now, how we've done it has been working, but I imagine many of us are thinking that maybe it's time to really rethink how we do some of what we've done. I hope you're thinking about that. In our movement, in our association of churches, we are wrestling with these questions constantly. One of the things we are noticing is that the nations are here. You don't have to go far, far away anymore to reach people from all over the world. Huge communities exist here. Another thing that we're noticing is that there are unreached people groups of Americans right here in this country that we can't break into. You know, the EFCA were mostly suburban churches, mostly churches like this one. It's very hard to work into the cities where a lot of people are, are beginning to move right now. We're wrestling with that right now. What I want to do to help stretch your thinking in this area is really give you two examples here of, of this tension between how we've done it and how we could do it. The first is Park Street Church. I don't know if any of you have heard of Park Street Church. If, you've heard, if you know much about the mission story in America, you know about Park Street Church. It was the first church in America to send out a missionary. They sent out a man named Adoniram Judson overseas. You know, in those days, stories are told, I assume they're true, that they packed their stuff in their coffin. Right? That's how you got to the field. Put all your stuff in a wooden crate that was going to be your coffin because guess what? That's where you're going to die. It's a little different today. You know, my mission's friends, I see my friends in Indonesia as much as I see your pastors that I know here. They come over. My friend, my, uh, one of my friends who lives in a, in a city called Pekinbaru, I see him twice a year. You know, he doesn't have a coffin over there right now. And Park Street Church has been at this for hundreds of years in America, since the early 19th century. And they made a change that has been so staggering for me. They decided, a couple years back, I was listening to their pastor talk, that they were no longer going to do partial support of missionaries. They said the only kind of support they were going to do was full support. So they decided, in essence, they were going to hire missionaries like you guys hire pastors. That they were only going to do full support. And so can you imagine a church that's at this for 200 years, what that meant? They had, they had to find a way to get from their, they probably, if we have 40, I can't even imagine how many they were supporting. And they decided for strategic reasons they, and I'm not sure this is right. Again, this is one of those ideas I put before you to stretch your thinking. I hope your takeaway is not to adopt this idea. But I want you to stretch your thinking. Imagine what it would be like to say, we're going to do missions in such a new way that we're only going to hire people full-time. We're going to know them. We're going to hold them accountable. We're going to love them as family. And we're going to have the energy to do it all for them just as well as we do it for Rick and our other pastors. What a different paradigm that would be. Or let me give you even another more, one that even pushes me farther. And this is the story of Cast Member Church. You may not know this, but there's an evangelical free church being planted right now in the cast of Disneyland. It, this, this idea still kind of blows my mind. One of the things I get to do for EFCA is I get to do church planner assessments, and Justin and Kim Weaver were being assessed, and I, I kind of raised my hand and said, I want to do that one, because I want to hear this story. They have decided that the cast of Disneyland, between 25 and 30,000 employees that work at Disneyland, that have, I don't know if you know this, a pretty tight culture. And they have decided, you know what, they qualify as a people group. And they have, they have set their heart of affection on Disneyland. 
and they have decided they are planting a church in Disneyland for the cast members of Disneyland. One already exists in Orlando. This is version 2.0. And I, when, I, when I meet with Justin, I hear his story. It's stuff like, I, this is literally something he told me. I said, what can I pray for you in your ministry for? I was with him a few months back, maybe even longer. And he said, well, I'm applying to be Darth Maul. And it would, it would give me a better footing. It would give me a better role here. He already works at Disneyland. He said, but a big deal, I'd have to shave my head. And that was kind of his thing, which I didn't think would be that big a deal. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm right there anyway. <laughs> But Justin, for him, that was like missional strategy 5.1, right? And he is actively engaged in planting a, a crew-style outreach ministry. And it's hard. I hear that story. I'm like, is that really a church or not? And Justin's like, you know what? There's a bunch of lost people at Disneyland who need to hear the gospel. And they're going to get to all that. And they're going to figure out how that place works. But it just stretches my imagination to hear a story of a young man who says, you know what? There's a group of people who need the gospel. And he, he works there. That's his life. And he's a church planner with us. And it makes me think about places like Google and Apple and who knows where else. That I want to invite you to think about ministry and missions in a new way. Stretch your minds. That's the second tension that is right before us. And the third one, and I don't have much time for it. I want to, I want to work through it. It's the tension between there and here. The tension between there and here. We talked about the tension between focus and family. Should we pick a place or should we continue to just go with the people who were brought up in this church? We talked about the tension between how we've done it and how we could do it. Should we keep sending out short-term teams and long-term missionaries or should we do something crazy like plant a church in Disneyland, right? And here's the third one, the tension between there and here. When we talk about missions, usually we think far, far away increasingly, I'm hearing people in our churches ask, what about the lost people right by us? There's an interesting phenomenon that happens. I don't know if it's happened at this church, but it happens at many of our free churches. It's kind of a, we call it the donut church, where you'll have a church in a community, and the community around the church has maybe gotten older, maybe it's run down, maybe it's just changed demographics, and so now there's the church right here, and nobody from the community right around it goes to that church. And then all the people come in from kind of far away to go to the church. And it kind of represents to me the same issue we have in missions. It's almost like a donut missions where we say we're supposed to bring the gospel to the nations. And then we look about 100 miles out and start thinking about it when this community is filled with people who don't know the Lord. We say maybe we can take a little bit of our time and treasure and make a difference for the gospel when we have a week's worth of work and a week's worth of living that sometimes doesn't even touch the lost world around us. And it's this tension between there and here. And don't get me wrong, I am committed heart and soul to the ends of the earth. I am spending my resources for it. I am taking trips I don't want to take. I have one of the funniest jobs in the world. I travel all over the place and I hate to travel. But I do, I hate it, but I do it for the sake of the gospel. And I'm doing that. Nonetheless, it's become clearer to me that there are lost people 10 feet from my house that I need to go work at reaching. I need to get after reaching. You know, let me just put a couple passages up there to illustrate this tension. You know, in Acts 1, it says, you will be, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's that here and there tension. Jerusalem is right where they were. Judea and Samaria, a little ways away. The ends of the earth are here, where we are right now. And they have done that. The people who received this command got the gospel here. 
generation after generation. I don't have time to even go into it, but another passage that I think is very relevant for this discussion, the here and there discussion, is this passage in Jeremiah 29. Just a few verses from that passage that was quoted earlier. It says this, and I don't know if you remember it, in that chapter, uh, false prophets are telling the people of Israel who are in exile in Babylon uh, that they're going to go home soon, it's going to be all right, and Jeremiah says, no, God says no, we're going to be here a while. And it says this, uh, about Babylon, if you think we're struggling with our ethics, man, read about ancient Babylon. It says this, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, God says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare welfare, you will find your welfare. And I would love to to have a conversation today about what missions in the workplace looks like, because here's one of the things I know is that most of the people in this room don't spend their time working at church or here on Sunday. Most of you spend your other days working in this world, trying to do good to this world, and I feel like sometimes sidestep the implications of the Great Commission for Monday through Friday. And we need, that's a conversation that needs to happen in churches like this. All right. I went through these tensions. I, I, I really do want you guys to wrestle with them. And I want to close with a story. Um, I'm going to try not to stand up. See, I, I'm usually all over the place. I'm kind of a walker. Um, so now I'm a fidgeter. Um, I want to close with a story to help you understand the urgency of what I'm talking about. As I mentioned, I have, uh, well, I don't know if I mentioned, I have two kids, 16 and almost 15. So my world is upside down. I used to know how to be a good parent, and now I'm the parent of teenagers, and I just hope I'm not screwing them up, right? That's where I am right now. Uh, but back when they were little one day, we were at a place called Avila Beach. And this is when my kids were, I mean, they were down here, three, four, and five. My parents were in town, and we're at Avila, and we brought a shovel to the beach, right? If you're going to have a fun day at the beach, bring a shovel. And we're digging a hole, we're making sand castles, and we're down kind of, you know that part where the water and the sand sort of are, can't decide if you're on the beach or in the water? That's where we were. And we're di- my dad and I dug this big hole, a big hole, and the three of us, my dad, my son, and me, are standing on this hole, next to this hole. And, uh, and the water would come in, and it would kind of wash up the silt, right? And it looked interesting or whatever, but to my son, it looked like the ground was reappearing, right? Because he's three or four, and he doesn't know. And so my son, I don't know what possessed him, he reached down to kind of put his hand on it. We dug a pretty deep hole. So he reaches down to put his hand on it, and he goes in head first. And, it, and for a moment, I thought it was kind of funny, and then I realized he kind of stuck there. And next thing I know, I see my son, and his head and, and shoulders are below water. But they're not below water. They're in that weird, silty sand. And I remember grabbing his legs. And you know that sucking sound uh, when you pull your foot out of the sand or whatever, Right? So I kind of made that sucking sound. I pulled him out, and in every little hole and eye everywhere, filled with sand, eyes open, mouth open, ears are always open, right? And I looked at him, and I was in a panic. It's my little four-year-old son, and struggling to breathe, spitting it out. I remember the cry he made that day. He made it for like an hour. You ever have one of those things where your kids won't, you know, and just this this high-pitched terror cry. And at that moment, when we're down there on the beach, we're way far from the place I can wash him off. And I picked him up, and I was in a panic, and I ran to wash him off. And he's crying the whole time, and my wife's freaking out, and I'm freaking out. Right, we wash him off, and we get home. And I'll never forget that, just that, that sense of, you know that sense when you know there's something you must do, and your heart just fills up, and you, you're ready to go. 
Here's what I think's happened for us uh, with, with missions. We know it's important. You guys wouldn't be having a Sunday like this if you didn't care about it. You wouldn't support the missionaries you do if you didn't care about it. We know it's important. I think sometimes we forget it's urgent. But I just want to remind you in closing that it is a crisis. It's a crisis. When I think about Indonesia, there's a man named Jim Yost, and he does ministry in Indonesia, and he always says this. He says, every day, thousands of people in Indonesia slip into a Christless eternity. And he's right. And it is a crisis, and it should be a panic. Now, the burden is not squarely on our shoulders, right? We have a God who controls all things, who has sent his spirit into this world, who is wooing people to himself. But he's also told us that we must go in Matthew 28. And in Romans 10, he says they must hear, and unless somebody is sent, how will that happen? And so I just want to, here at the end of my sermon, I just want to implore you that there is a lost and dying and broken world out there. And we need to live together as family and care for one another, but we are on a desperate mission of rescue. And it is urgent. And I want to invite you to keep participating in it, but to have this conversation because it is too important and the stakes are too high merely to do what we've done. What we've done is beautiful. I'm the fruit of what we've done. I came to the Lord because somebody in young life shared the gospel with me. But we need to do it more. We need to open our eyes and we need to get out there because, as my friend Jim says, every day thousands slip into eternity without Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this church. I pray that you would help us to trust you and, and be on mission with you. Um, I pray that you would help this, these people and my church too to wrestle hard through these questions. I pray, God, that you would help us to be better at what we do and to be more fruitful and more careful with our resources and to be able to imagine new things. I pray, Lord, for many like Justin who go into a place like Disneyland and see a people needing to be reached. Um, God, I pray for wisdom in these conversations and fruitful outcomes and all under the banner of grace and the gospel that has rescued us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This message titled Wrestling with the Tensions as We Go to the Nations was given by Brian Ferrone at Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. Brian serves as the Director of Biblical Theology and Credentialing for the EFCA West. For more information and resources from Christ Community, please visit us at www.ccclh.org.